Hello and welcome to the Ghibli Rewatch series of the Overly Animated Podcast, where we'll be going through every Studio Ghibli movie chronologically from the beginning. I'm Dylan Eisen, and today I'm joined by Michelle Ander. Hello. And Maddie Potter. Hello. Yes, this is the Ghibli Rewatch series. Uh, join us in rewatching or watching for the first time all the Studio Ghibli movies now that they're available for streaming for the first time. Uh, the, today is Castle in the Sky or Laputa Castle in the Sky. Um, and uh, yeah, streaming for the first time. We got our first crack at HBO Max after it came out last week. Last week's podcast was recorded before, but I've had the chance to check out the Ghibli movies on HBO Max and... That gets uh, positive, positive marks. Um, I think it's they're prominently displayed on HBO Max. They got the subs and the dubs there. You can switch back and forth really easily. Um, good video quality. And the subtitles on the subbed versions are not just a transcription of the dub like it is sometimes on Netflix. It's like the official Ghibli subtitles on the sub versions. So very happy with um, the presentation of the Ghibli movies on HBO Max. And uh, a lot of people were talking about it this past week once they started coming out. So that's very exciting. And that's why we're doing this series, because a lot of people can have access to these Ghibli films for the first time uh, in a legal manner, at least. And uh, yeah, this is a new new podcast in this Ghibli rewatch series every Wednesday as we go through the whole cro- uh, catalog chronologically at OverlyAnimated.com. Uh, you can subscribe to the Ghibli rewatch iTunes feed on Spotify and everywhere. Um, so premise of this podcast, I'm a Ghibli expert, seen all the movies a while ago, and will be joined as we go through co-hosts with a variety of Ghibli watching experience. Um, want to warn that we'll be get, go, getting into full spoilers for Castle in the Sky right away. Make sure you've seen this movie. Um, hopefully won't be spoiling to just only vague spoilers from any other Ghibli films, but we'll be referring to a lot of things. Um, so yes, make sure you've seen Castle in the Sky, come back and then continue listening. Um, and we'll be discussing both the subbed and dubbed versions actually this time. Um, but, uh, primarily the subs usually, uh, but watch whatever you prefer. You don't need to have seen one or the other to listen to these, uh, podcasts. So let's get into Cast in the Sky, Laputa. I don't know which one we're going to call it as we go, but either I think is valid. Cast in the Sky, the official title, maybe. Uh, this is 1986. Um, and this is Hayao Miyazaki's third uh directed film um coming off of the success of Naushka um he makes a movie with many similar elements to his earlier television series Future Boy Conan which probably not going to talk a lot about but it definitely worth is worth mentioning that there's a lot of similar elements from that earlier TV show um this is this movie uh marked the launch of Studio Ghibli on June 15th 1985 this is the first official movie under the Studio Ghibli brands which they were able to create after the success of Nashka. They made the studio to create entirely high quality uh films, very unusual for animated anime studios to have all films being made, all really like high quality works. That's kind of what they're going for with Studio Ghibli here. Um La- yeah, Laputa came out in 1986, not actually a big financial success right away. Uh Aww. Miyazaki went against the grain of the Nashka type uh, like a young, young men driven kind of show, a lot of sci-fi at the time in Japan. And now he creates like a, a fantasy children's movie in, in Castle in the Sky. And so that, uh, you know, he, he's doing more of what he, he wants to do versus what he feels pressured to, um, by the times doesn't immediately succeed, but they've certainly made a lot of money later on with, with this movie as it's been very successful since then in Japan and across the world. 
Um, and yeah, this is considered a, an all time great by a lot of people. And I know is a favorite of Michelle's and some other people as well. So it's very exciting. Let's get into it. So, um, Michelle, we've had you on. So we know that you have, uh, you're an experienced Ghibli watcher. Um, you've seen uh, a lot of these movies before. And, uh, yes, I know it's a, your per, one of your personal favorites. So tell us about your history with Castle in the Sky and what you think of it. Okay, so this is the second anime thing I'd ever, ever seen before, unless you want to count, like, odd episodes of Pokemon here and there as a child without cable. Like, I saw Spirited Away when I was, like, eight, and I, like, totally didn't understand it. I liked it, but I wasn't, like, ready for it. And then I saw this one in high school. We watched it with subs in my Japanese class <laughs> um, on our teacher's, like, janky, burnt DVD and it was kind of glitchy, but it was like, it was so good. I was totally blown away. Like, especially just like the visuals and the music were so good. But like, honestly, like Sheeta and Pazu's relationship is like the heart of this movie. And it's the thing that I totally just like loved again and again coming back to. Um, I love like the the stakes of this movie. There's a lot more violence than I was expecting is something that I presumed was a aimed at children, at least in the United States, because I know Disney got the rights to distribute it. But like there there's some deaths, man. There's a lot of explosions and shooting and just like, you know, and lots of military, scary military people doing things. And it's just like, oh man, this is this is not like, you know, boy goes to fight a dragon kind of adventure from the 1980s at all. And that's a big part of why I loved it. Like you fall in love with like the towns, you fall in love with the locations. Like even though it does really get pretty dark and scary, it never stops being like a fun ride the majority of the time, which I think is a pretty interesting decision to make for this movie. Um, there's, there's so many things about it that I think are such gems, but I'm going to save that till later. But like, there are a lot of reasons why this is my favorite, my hands down favorite Miyazaki movie out of all of them. Hands down your favorite. Okay, we're yes. going to dig into <laughs> even more reasons why, because uh, that, that's great. Uh, everyone's very, very passionate about this movie. Um, and uh, we'll see what our other host thinks of this movie uh, with a potentially opposite uh, perspective coming in. Just watch the movie, Maddie. Um, yeah. so tell us <laughs> what, uh, so your fir- first time, uh, are you, uh, are you a generally a new person to Ghibli films and, uh, what did you think of Castle in the Sky when you watched it? I have experience with some of the movies. I watched Spirited Away, Kiki's Delivery Service and House Moving Castle when I was younger, not really a kid, but younger. Hmm. And it wasn't that I didn't like them. I actually liked those movies a lot. It's just, I never it's hard to watch these movies. It's difficult to find them uh, in streaming at least. Yeah, and until I just, now. Yep. Until yeah. now. Uh, and so I have not spent a lot of time watching these movies. And so I've missed a lot of them. And I was really excited at this. Uh, like this was the perfect excuse for me to finally get down and watching the, watch them. And I really enjoyed this movie. It was, it was not what I was expecting. Cause the other Ghibli movies I had seen were much less, I guess, this movie is traditionally like there's a villain, there are protagonists, and there's like there's it, it, it's I, I, simple sounds like the, a bad way to put it, but it, it, it's very clear like this is this is the plot, this is what we're doing, and this is what the bad guys want. 
And in the other Ghibli movies I'd seen, it was definitely a little more loose on that front. It wasn't always very uh, clear. It, it was the villains were much closer aligned to the themes of the movies. I, I it's what I'm trying to say. I think in other movies and in this movie, the villain is more closely associated with his goals, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just different than the movies I'd seen. Interesting. Yeah. Um. I it's, I think like this is like a Miyazaki's kind of traditional adventure movie. I think. Yeah. It, yeah. So I think in that regard, maybe simpler, at least in structure, than some later ones. Yeah, that's probably the way I'd. Play. I would yeah. say straightforward, not necessarily simple, but straightforward goals, very clear cut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it benefits from that when compared to the clarity. Some yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um. Yeah. I, I really like. Uh, castle in the sky too um this wasn't i think watching all these for the first time this wasn't a like super personal favorite of mine but it's obviously like great so like i was like uh, you know it's, it always stands out as as really good um i didn't necessarily connect with it immediately as much but um there's elements of this movie which are uh really iconic and i love there's a few scenes in this movie or some of my favorite scenes ever in anything so i'm excited to talk about those um i think uh it, it's uh, maybe in some ways not as much of an oomph in the uh, the statements it's trying to make, um, which is maybe more interesting for our discussion to try to dive into like what the end of this movie is saying and stuff. Um, I, I think I think like it's it's really nice that Castle in the Sky um, is a little bit unique from some of uh, his other movies too. I mean, I think like Spirited Away maybe the closest. Like this is like if Nausicaa is to Mononoke, this movie is to Spirited Away, maybe in in terms of somewhat of an earlier version of it. Um, but uh, I'd I'd say Mononoke and Nausicaa end up being a little more similar than this in, in Spirited Away. But um, I think this movie like stand on its stands on its own in what it's trying to do. Uh, really, I, the robots uh, in this movie are like the most iconic kind of element to me. I'm excited to talk about them and um, uh, just Laputa itself. Um, I had a lot of memories of that, and it didn't disappoint revisiting the movie. I'm I'm sorry. I just want to add that I this is the first one I've watched as an adult, so I was really blown away by the music. The score. Yes. Was- yeah, I'm excited oh, to isn't ask it you. Good? About the score. Yeah, one of yeah. the best things about it is how much the music just elevates every scene that it's yeah. used in. Yeah, we'll be we'll be going through all of uh, Joe Saishi's scores um, as we go through these movies. And oh, I've been, great. I've been listening to this one, so I'm excited to talk about it. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I think like uh, there's a few headline kind of topics to get into, but I, I kind of want to first give Michelle an, uh, an opportunity to like, like, is there a thing that makes this movie truly special compared to kind of some of these other Ghibli movies that you really love like is I mean I know you said a bunch of them in the beginning but like what stands out what stands out in your mind when you think of Castle in the Sky is like what you love about it well there are certainly like you point out like there there are just like moments that are just so gorgeous to witness that you just remember them a lot like Sheeta falling from the sky just from the very beginning with the score is just like such a standout visual and it really just sets the tone for like, Oh, this is like, we're, we're going somewhere. <laughs> this is an adventure. We don't, we don't know exactly what's happening. What's going on with these kids yet, but like something that for sure. Like also just like when they're in the clouds during the storm and they finally like the calm of going in and resting on like the floating castle itself and just them witnessing it together for the first time is a really big moment. There's a bunch and there's a lot of funny moments, but I think again, for me, like as beautiful as it is, I feel like it really is the main two characters that 
like sold me where so many movies are like Miyazaki has not made a bad movie and there are there are some that come very close to this but I feel like I was so su- surprised by how Shida and Pazu were handled that like that initial like shock and relief like can never be taken away from 15 year old me watching it for the first time. I think like and that's a very personal reaction but like it's absolutely the reason like it's my favorite. In, in what way and how they were handled? Oh man. I mean, do we want to go to character stuff right away? We could talk about that at the top. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you, is it their relationship or is it yes. them individually as characters? It's, it's both of those things. I think, I, I guess I was a little, cause like, you know, like Miyazaki, like we know now Miyazaki has this reputation for kind of pushing against whatever like traditionally was the focus um, of characters during time periods. And the fact that like, both these characters have a lot of time together that feels very equal, but they also have a lot of scenes apart where they do things. Um, I think the fact that like Sheeta opens the movie is kind of amazing just cause like, I think a lot of like, if you didn't know much of this movie, you saw like a poster, you might assume Pezu's the main character just cause a lot of times in the poster, the shot they use of Sheeta is her like floating down, mm-hmm. which, which feels like a lot less like, not like she doesn't have as much autonomy, but just like she's not as prominent, she's not as active. Like that's how you like as, like that that says a lot about how you expect to view her character. But in the in the actuality of the movie, like it's just so I love I love Pazu, I love Sheeta so much. Like the reasons I love Sheeta is because like I know that a lot of folks who like Ghibli they sometimes like they'll say like Sheeta doesn't seem like as like active or feminist as other Miyazaki heroines um when compared to like say like Nasuko or Chihiro or even like Sophie from Howl's Moving Castle um but that's not true she is just as feminist but like her feminism is in a very like normal girl kind of way um, that gives this character that very much just like rises to the occasion when she's given the opportunity, which is like really amazing because Pazu, like he's also like a pretty normal child, but the difference is like, I feel like as an audience, we come to expect maybe that he will do that a little more just because like, that's how a lot of stories like tailored to young male audiences tend to like show male characters that are active leads in shows like this. Um, so it, it's not necessarily something we assume from Sheeta, but it is from Pezu. So I feel like that's one of the big differences. And the fact that, like, she she doesn't channel, like, her being an active character in the same way Pezu does all the time because she's a different person. And even though, like, Pezu might have more masculine traits and Sheeta might have more feminine traits, like, they still have so many moments of strength together. Um, that's just really incredible. Because, like, again, like, or in the movie, you have Sheeta, like knocking out Moscow with a bottle to escape and like there are moments like we're on they're on the train together and she like insists on helping Pezu like shovel the coal and stuff or like when she goes up on the top of the ship to talk to Pezu he's like Sheeta like you can't be up here she's like no nah, like I want to oh this is cool <laughs> and then like when Dola tries to talk her to come down she's like hey like I'm not gonna come down because I'm a girl you're a girl too like, she, she has a lot of these moments where, like, not only does she work really well together with Pezu as a teammate, but she clearly is able to 
push against things and be active in her own way. It's just like a lot more subtle than I think we're used to noticing when it comes to characters because we're we're used to like very masculine ways of presenting this kind of assertiveness, you know? And like, let's not forget, like I would say Sheeta has the bravest moment in the movie when she stands up against like arguably the most dangerous thing, which is Muska. When he's pointing a gun at her and she gives this amazing speech and it's such a powerful moment. And I feel like that's the heart of like, that's the culmination of her spirit in that movie. And I feel like you, you watch her like getting more and more of that as the movie progresses. And to Paddy's credit, like he never, he, Pazu is like the ideal, like if you're going to have a friend with very gentle romantic overtones with sometimes, but in a non-committal way that I absolutely love. <laughs> it's a good description love, of this movie. Thank you, Miyazaki, <laughs> for that. He's like, he's very kind. He's very genuine. He supports you. He's there to be strong when like she can't in some situations, but he never pushes back at her when she asserts herself. And I think like that is the best you can do as somebody else because like I think they both understand that they're different people coming at this adventure from different situations. Like he wants to understand like what his dad saw and kind of save the name of his dad and his family. And she's literally the descendant of these people. And she wants to understand her lineage. Like those are very different reasons, but they come together to find out the truth together and they support each other every step of the way. And it's one of like the most genuine things about this movie and there's never like any resentment or just like someone trying to control the other person and like time is equally shared with them. One of them's not more important than the other. And it's just so nice to see how balanced that is. It just feels like such a masterclass of like, this is what you can show people about how to treat each other or children, how to treat each other. Like it's just, it just blew my mind. Like when I was 15, I was like, Oh my God, like, these respectful, wonderful, hopeful children. Like, this is the most amazing relationship I've ever seen. And, like, that's more than anything what I fell in love with. Like, that right there. Okay, that's awesome. You, I think you covered, like, Apazu and Cheetah's characters and their relationship, and we can talk about all these together. And I think you're totally, like, describing what Miyazaki is going for yeah. with these characters and their relationships. So you're, like, totally buying into that. And we can read some some quotes about uh, what he's going for here. And, uh yeah, I, I, like I, I love, I felt your passion for for them and in, in, in what you're talking about there. Um, I it just just generally like Shida having like an equal amount of agency to Pazu in this movie. Yeah, I think that that is a pretty revolutionary thing, even for now. But like for 1986, you think about it too. Like absolutely. Um, I mean, Shida ends up being the one who like gets captured in certain like plot conveniences but i think uh she she if, if the movie strikingly i feel like always does present her with agency even within those scenes mm-hmm. um, like her, when she when she's in like damsel situations it's very believable just because like i feel like miyazaki is very smart about like another reason i feel like she does like able to be who she is is just because we like, just like when we were talking in the nasuka podcast she doesn't have the burden of being the only woman in this entire movie because there is Dola and Dola's a very different kind of woman who is equally fascinating and amazing and assertive and strong in her own way but she is like a very different person from her and not always sometimes like they're very similar which is hilarious but I feel like that again gives Cheetah a little more freedom to be a little more stereotypically little girl that like we're used to because the thing with that is like 
while we might all, may all like admire someone like Nazca, who just seems so amazing and strong and such a natural leader and so capable, like in reality, we're probably a lot more like Sheeta. Like she's the kind of like strong, capable person we can aspire to be because like she's such an every woman kind of character who again is just thrown to the situation and is able to rise to the opportunity because the opportunity presented itself. And I think that's just like it's so good, and no one ever talks about how great Sheeta is, but she's she's amazing, and she it's not about her like being as strong as like Pazu, like she doesn't have to be, like she's strong in her own way, and even though she does get kidnapped, like she again has the most powerful moment, like staring down like the ultimate monster just with her words and her like her validation of truth like that cannot be denied you know which is just so good like Miyazaki knew what he was doing yeah I mean I had that scene of her uh her standing up to confronting Muska definitely one of the scenes I want to talk about with this movie but um yeah no you're at like uh she did not often discussed with the uh the upper echelon of Ghibli heroines but uh, yeah. and I think largely because she has to st- share the stage with Pazu maybe a similar thing going on with Mononoke um, but uh, yeah this is a great defense of why she should be considered up there I think everything you're talking about is great um, Maddie what, what's your impression of these two characters as you're as you're watching the movie and, and their relationship I think that uh, I'll start with their characters and then the relationship but but I think that they are of the movies that I've seen they're the most I guess childish and i don't mean that in a bad way like they are kids and they act like kids and i appreciate it i appreciate how much they just they don't have very they have very childish views on the world and views on what they're what they want and what's going on and i really buy that pazu would really attach to um, this girl that just floated down out of the sky. And I believe that Shida would latch on to this kid who is the only person really helping her at this time. It's I really enjoy that. I really enjoy their interactions. I enjoy that they don't feel like in a lot of adventure movies, they kind of make this male and female lead. They have them meet kind of like, oh, they were destined to meet type things. But these two, they met and it really feels like the best way I can put it is they really feel like they met and uh, they're just, they're just, they, they just were like, oh, we're friends immediately. Like we just vibe. <laughs> yeah. We vibe really hard. And I guess that there are like romantic um, under, there, there has to be romantic stuff because heteronormativity and all that. But I really, really, really like the, and their their bond because it feels very real and very true that's something that only that like two kids could have in that moment when they meet each other because when kids meet each other like that they do just latch on to that kid they meet that's the same age as them but they're like wow you're awesome you have a magic stone and like wow you're awesome you know how to do all this stuff you know how all your way around town you know how to dress me up and hide me from the pirates like it really i really buy into it and i really buy into the relationship and i was surprised by that because usually i think that the way that they have these heteronormative relationships gets a little bit tedious, but these two, I bought into it immediately and I've really enjoyed them the whole way through. That's awesome. Bought into them immediately. 
Um, yeah, having a magic stone, very desirable for Ed and trade as a kid, probably. I, I mean, yeah. Yes. Like, like, <laughs> and I, I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, that's just how kids <laughs> act. That's just how kids are. Yeah, and know, I, uh, yeah. I think they're, they're really, like, realistic kids. And I want to get, that's another topic I want to get into, too. Um, all kind of tying together with these. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like Pazu and Shida, um, you know, like, if like, you got Nausicaa, which is uh, the standout tenpole Miyazaki heroine, that movie focuses more on her characterization than I feel like... F- uh, any of his future movies uh, focus on. And I feel like Pazu and Chida is the start of maybe more subdued characterizations for Miyazaki's main characters and not just to call them out. I think it's all of all of the future ones, basically. Um, maybe Kiki is uh, an exception to that. Um, but uh, I think I think you watch it again, though, and, there are, and they do stand out more than I remember in terms of like how, how good of characters they are. But the thing that really stands out to me is their relationship. And I think that's what the movie's mainly concerned with. Um, and just, uh, this, this just bond, joyful bonds that they have, um, which is really fun the entire movie. And they're just always so positive and supporting and sympathetic to each other. Um, and, uh, it's, it's like the heart, it's the heart of the movie in a lot of ways. Um, we've talked about it potentially being romantic. Um, gotta read this quote from, uh, from Miyazaki, from the, uh, I'm going to bring in quotes from Susan Napier's Miyazaki World book here, um, which uh, he's asked, uh, so he, uh, she says, but Miyazaki refused to make any romantic connection explicit. He grew impatient with an interviewer who kept harping on why the two didn't kiss at the joyous moment when oh they finally God. arrive on Lakita. Miyazaki says, no, they wouldn't kiss. That's the bad influence <laughs> of Hollywood. If they had, it would have been a different relationship. Oh, I love um, him. Yes, I can't hit him so Miyazaki. hard right now. You're right. So he doesn't see it as romantic. Uh, I mean, I feel like there's like a clear uh, connection that is generally associated with romantic uh, for, in a media lens with these two. But they're yeah. also just like kids that are just yeah. uh, just like uh, really having happy times together. Um, <laughs> happy times. <laughs> I, I, like I was saying with the kid thing, I just didn't really see it as romantic at any point, which is very shocking for like two leads like this it's very impressive honestly i think they just have so much respect for each other like that's a big part of their bond it's just like this clear mutual respect and admiration but also like they're on each other's level which is why they work so well as a team and they get out of so many scrapes Mm-hmm. It's just so good. They're so adaptable to all these situations and they lean on each other, which is like part of what I love. Like I love that she like she kind of shares this moment of destroying Lapta, which is like really her call because it is like, you know, her lineage with him and just like the hand clasp, the iconic hand clasp when they hold it together. It's like they're they're in all this together. Like it's equally there. And like she's she trusts him to do it with her. And it's so, it's just so good. I just love them. They're so, they're such good babies. Yeah, <laughs> but they've also grown up a lot. I don't know. Yeah. They're like 13, 12, somewhere in yeah. there. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I... Yeah, I mean, I think they like they they have this um, deep intimacy between each other very quickly, and like I think like it's something very easy to read as romantic, but something you could also just not read as romantic. And uh, you know, I think we know now Miyazaki's not really intending it to be that, but I do think he's displaying this kind of connection that is often romantic. So I feel like the thing people, if you like, if you like ship them, I feel like you're latching onto the same thing that is intended with Miyazaki. It's this connection between them, yeah, um, and it's just like not manifesting in that exact exact way um uh, these uh tentpole scenes i feel like with pazu and shita 
um, them, Shida waking up at Pazu's house and them meeting, uh, awake for the first time. That's, that's, a, that's like a great start to their relationship. Such a joyous scene. They like released the birds. Um, and, uh, they, that's just, it's, it's really like fun and they keep that energy up the whole time. Uh, one of my favorite scenes of the movie. Uh, this would be one of my, my, the three ones I want to talk a lot about, but them keeping watch on top of, uh, the airship as, uh, as Dola listens on. Um, yeah, I think that's a incredible scene between the two of them. Uh, that, yeah, them arriving at Laputa, talk a lot more about the scene. I mean, there's the moment where their faces are very close together. They're like, uh, playing in like the grass of uh, where laughing and stuff. Um, just a great display of the two of them. And yeah, they, they unleash the, the destruction spell together at the end after, uh, after, uh, Shita confronts Muska. So, uh, they're, they're just really, yeah, their relationship really shines throughout the entirety of the movie. And I think it's like in a way, which I'm not sure we really see from a later Miyazaki movie, just this, um, pair that is, uh, their, their connection is kind of the heart of the movie. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, this is Miyazaki doesn't really generally do romance. There's not really any kissing in his movies until right in, right at the end of our journey here. Uh, so, uh, this is one that maybe is the closest. Um, and yet even this one is not really intended to be that. So I think this is a recurring theme we'll see in him not really being super concerned with displaying romance in his movies. Um, we, we can get into, we're talking about them being kids. I think this movie being a kid's movie is, uh, is a an interesting topic to talk about. Cause you know, you might say like, uh, oh, there's a lot of people that die in this movie. Kind of, as Michelle said, which is a sh- yeah. kind of shocking towards the end. There, when, I was surprised to say the least. So much murder. And I think the other thing is Muska is arguably the most evil person in any Miyazaki movie. Yeah. Like, right, though? Like, honestly, I think he's, like, more dangerous than anyone else. Like, in Nasca, even. Like, he's just so bloodthirsty and just revels it in it in a way that, like, I just don't think we've seen before His, his, his villains are usually sympathetic, I would say. Yeah. yeah. They, this this is a straight villain here. Yeah, yeah. he's straight up <laughs> villain. I, I want to talk about how amazing Mark Hamill is as this villain, though. He, Mark Hamill plays the in the dub, in the I've dub, never yeah. so, okay. I've only listened to the dub in the trailer and I was so insulted because I love this movie so much that I just refused to listen to the dub ever because <laughs> no. it just sounded like such a joke. But Mark Hamill does Mark, sound like yeah, an interesting I, choice. I wanted, Matt, Maddie, you watched the dub. What did you yes, think? Yes, have I not talked about that yet? No, not yet. Okay, so I watched the dub because I, and I don't want to start a fight about it, but I watched the dubs. In most things, and I'm not going to tell people what to watch. I watch subs when, like, there's nothing else available, but I watch dubs because I like to watch the animation. I like to watch and see, because people put a lot of work into animating it. Like, for live action shows, I feel less inclined and less, like, it's less necessary for me to watch the subs. But for something like this, where people put in so much effort to every single shot, every single frame, I really want to, like, watch it and just enjoy it and not have to look at the bottom of the screen the whole time. And I get why, like, from, just from watching the dub, I will complain about some of the, the t- things in the dub. I, I, I don't think the dub is perfect, but I do stand by the way I watched it and think that I did get to see all this animation and it was fantastic. 
Yeah, like we said in the beginning, any way you're watching it is valid. Uh, Miyazaki, yeah. since since you're the first person, Maddie, that's watched a dub the, the, the series, so we can, uh, or like actively for this mm-hmm. podcast, so we can get into this in in this general topic. Uh, Miyazaki is kind of on the record as saying you should watch the dub. Um, not for that exact reason, but I think that's a very valid reason. I think he says uh, the dub is specifically intended to be uh, culturally relevant to the people watching it, whereas you watch the sub and it's just the literal translation versus the dub, they might try to make things more culturally understanding. I'm um, not sure if so that's why I ever watch a dub. Like, I want, I want the same meaning. I want the meaning that, like, I want to know the message. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's valid. Like, that's, I, I want to know the exact uh, meaning yeah. of the original text, but I think Miyazaki is, which is obviously a very important opinion, saying that, uh, like, <laughs> his, his preference yeah. would be people watching the most understandable thing to him. Um, I think the uh, Ghibli dubs, the later dubs, there's obviously some, there's a very early dub of Na- Nasuka, which is, uh, like, memorably, notoriously horrible. Um, but there's uh, all the later Disney and other j- dubs uh, of the Ghibli movies. I do think there's some of the dubs of all time that the most effort went into. Some of the dubs are, these dubs are incredibly great. All of them are high quality. I've seen the Castle dub. It's it's fine. Uh, Mark Hamill, yeah, he's really the highlight. I he's want to like talk perfect to- as... Is he Mark a fun Hesca. villain? Because I really hope he's not a yes. fun villain. No, but no, 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 no. not fun. No, 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 Michelle, listen, like, he is completely evil, and, and by fun, I mean, like, he's like I enjoy him okay. because okay. he's so bad. I think he's like can't, uh-huh. it's like a, a hammy oh, hamming no. it up as a like. Uh, but doesn't that's... that take him at the edge off? Like I I, 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 I read I, I read Muska's that a little bit in the original too. I I think. I, I think Michelle, you should experience it because by the end, <laughs> because or just just watch some of his scenes specifically near the end because he recorded this. He had the he did this before he did the Joker. I was like, wondering ever. about that. Yeah, and at the end of the movie, Muska laughs, and it's fairly close to his joker laugh and it's honestly really <laughs> unhinged and gosh. really creepy and i loved it okay. i love michelle like you just watch it and you're like muska like reads as this terrifying really upsetting person and okay. he like that's how he came across to me through mark hamill's voice acting and through the movie i think that he had fun with it but i also think the Every character in the movie is having fun with it. I don't think he's having any less fun with it than any other character. It's just, it's Mark Hamill. So I'm latching onto him because it's Mark Hamill. It's it incredible. is Mark Hamill. He's incredible. There's this scene, like literally the first scene he walks in. I had no like knowledge of this movie at all coming in. And the first scene he comes in, I knew it was Mark Hamill because the voice actor was just so incredible the second he walked into the room. It was so incredible. He like it's the scene where he's in the base with um Sheeta and he's like circling around her when she's a prisoner oh, yeah. and, and it's just like he is so evil and he has so much presence that it's it he is Mark Hamill is not the problem with the dub. I'm just gonna okay. say I think, right. I think he's the so best that, part. Yeah, that makes yeah. me feel a little more convinced. Mus- Muska is like he's not obviously the villain at first, right? Like he's a villain that emerges from these uh, uh, this no, kind of I force. So. The one that had with the bottle at the very beginning, you get he's a also sense there's that he's you know he's dangerous. a guy in a suit and there's a few of them. That I, he's got similar. glasses. <laughs> That's how you know he's evil. I knew he was the is villain. That, is that Mark how Mark was playing him? Yeah. <laughs> no, this, this this ends up being kind of in the lineage of Mark Hamill's voicing villains career, including Ozai, and uh, it's yeah. Uh, yeah it's, and, it's, 
it's not clear that he's like as evil and horrifying as he truly is right off the bat. But I feel yes. like you definitely know that he's like kind of shady just from the way she oh, responds. No, he's he's to- like one of the yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, like well, the military you know, he's, guy like, no too. And, until yeah. later, yeah, like um, it's really incredible. Like the beginning of it, he's very like. Um, he's very like put together, and his he's, voice like, comes across and kind of yes, sterile and, and just uptight and oh. Yeah. And and Mark Hamill does that. He comes across as this like businessman almost, and then by the Ooh, end, okay. he's just falling apart. And he leans into like this Joker, uh, uh, n- not quite Joker. Like he doesn't go that unhinged, but he leans into this Joker esque laugh and this Joker like, "I am king. I am in charge." And it's just so great. It's like a very incredible performance that I never knew Mark Hamill had. Yeah, uh, I think that's the best part of the stuff. And none of the other parts really stood out to me. Anymore, yeah, but. I agree. I, and it's Rep, of, who does Dola? Does that person have a fun time with Dola? I, Dola's a, fun. Like, everyone's fun. It's just no one, like, Mark Hamill's just Has that kind Dola, of... Dola is Cloris Leachman. That's pretty cool. Oh. Um, I, I, I do think that they did keep the comedic timing really well in the dub. Like, there are some really funny jokes. I, like, I was actually laughing pretty hard at some of the jokes in the... It's a funny movie. It is. There's so many moments just, like, I'll never get over the absurdity of, like, the man off, like... Oh, my God. Yeah, we can talk about that quickly. (laughs) Oh, my God. Because it feels so out of nowhere. It is. Like, the prevalent, the absurdity of it. And there's even a great line where the wife is like, who's going to, like, fix that shirt you just ripped off your body? And he's like, oh, "Oh, I know. In the the tub, the wife says, the wife says, uh, I'm not fixing that. Yeah. Like, like, what are you doing, dude? Is this worth it? It's just so good. That's that's the most random part of the movie. Like, having this amazing brawl, the minor town gets together and fights the the evil government and pirates and it's just like it's so good it's such a pro small town kind of moment yeah we're gonna circle back to those themes but uh yeah that, that's that's a that's a fun that's the end their, their shirts coming off like, they had this like in the dub there was a line where they punch like in the seat of the man off where the where the mining guy like punches the pirate guy and the other pirates catch him, and they say, he told you that mob looks blah, blah, blah. Like, they, it was cut off by, like, the noise. They were, like, telling him that they made fun of his mob, essentially. And I wonder if that was in the sub. I don't or remember that. Was it? That's yeah, totally they, like, ad it, I think. Fine. Like, dude, like, they, like, they caught it. I think they out. say something like, like, come on, like, you can get him. Like, don't give up. Yeah. Something they replaced that with another like joke, that. where they're like, no, he, he told you your mob is fat. And they push him back towards the other guy. That does work really well just because, yeah. like, all of the pirates are such mama's boys, and it's, like, so amazing. Like, yeah. that was the scene where I realized the pirates are not going to be villains. No, they're, so so, they're just mama's boys. They're just happy okay, to yeah. be there. Okay, there's a lot of subjects uh, open right now. But, uh, sorry, to clo- sorry. Close, no, it's fun. It's fun. To close out Muska, I think I think he's a, a very standout uh, Ghibli character looking back just because he's the straight-up villain uh in in a line of uh kind of sympathetic uh villain types in Miyazaki movies and I, I think he's a, a great part of this movie. Um and uh I mean he he does circles around like what we assume I think probably is a bigger threat, which is just like the government dude. Just because like they have all this machinery and they have such a presence and they just seem like such a threat to just like the coal mining town and like everyone else. But then once they get on Lapta and he's able to like take control of the ancient power, it's like all of them are just distinguished like insects really. And that's part of like 
the true horror of like the sort of person he is because he's like laughing about it he's like reveling in their murder oh, yeah. and just like watching it and she like turns away because she's so disgusted by it and that's when he goes from just like you know your average gross terrible person to like truly monstrous which is because like i think the other guy like in a way he was like kind of stupid <laughs> like he wasn't like part like i think like part of muska being so smart and calculating is like an extra layer to his horror at the same time whereas the general dude was just very straightforward like we're gonna not listen to you and just charge ahead because that's what military guys do and it, it, he's a little more one note so he didn't seem like as terrible as muska honestly yeah yeah He's uh, he's he he definitely stands out among the people around him in the beginning of the movie, and then uh, just with the pa- harnesses the power of of Laputin, he's the reveal that he's uh, also La- Laputin. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> is that the yeah, I think it's Laputin. I don't know. I don't yeah. Know if that's a... yeah, he's like uh, Sheeta's cousin. Um, yeah, turns out yeah. Yeah. distant, distant cousin. Yeah. And then he even hints about like we're gonna be here a long time together, and it's just like, oh man, uh, there's this really terrifying human being. Can I just say there's a lot of implication of adults hitting on Sheeta, and I don't yeah, like yeah, it. Well, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Let's talk about it. Fine. We already brought up the we already brought up the the pirate son, so we gotta let's talk about that. So I I, th- I don't think there's anything Mus- with Muska that's like yeah. You, there's that one line. Um, I think the movie generally avoids um, getting I never, into any implication of that. With the Muska. dub drifted away from that with Muska at least. Like it didn't do but that. With cer- certainly, yeah. No, I don't think there's. But I think the explicit thing is Dola's uh, sons, who uh, are adult men working on the 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 ship, are all kind of uh, hitting on. Shita at one point trying to gain gain her attention and favor there's a reason for this though like as I've gotten older like it doesn't honestly bother me one because like the few times they are it's kind of played as a joke because like when they all go in the kitchen it just becomes amazing because she just puts them all to work so they're just all in there doing the stuff for her which is just so good but also like because they're they're space pirates they just spend a lot of time in the air they probably never they never see girls, so I think honestly, part of it was just like any girl is just going to be such a change who's not their mom for them, and that's like but, an event of itself. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I think even that's if the it's a romantic like the... way, she's like, oh, she's so pretty, and we never have girls on our ship. Like this it, is so exciting. I definitely think that's like the text, and like that's the point. But also, that doesn't make it okay that adults are hitting on her, and I don't like that. Yeah, it's it's played for comedic effect in the movie, and it's not taken seriously. So I think it kind of avoids being this yeah. huge deal because it's, it's just like it's purposefully a joke, and they're also just very innocently kind of doing this. But it's yeah. displayed as this romantic attraction, which is uh, that I feel like is the part of this movie being from 1986 that seems the most yeah, a while true. ago. Yeah, I don't think that this would be there if it was uh, the I, last ten years. The biggest thing for me is when they act really disappointed when like they realize that. They are the Pazu and Shida are like connecting really well in the night. Like that's the moment where I'm like, mm, you didn't need to show that shot. Like if it was just the kitchen scene, I'd probably be okay with it. But they have the shot where they're all like kind of like mad or like annoyed that he's getting this, and it's very uh, the natural conclusion to this arc. That yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes, but it's it's uh, yeah. I think we could have done something else with the sons. The aspect that is. Uh, I think is maybe the best for me is that they they see uh, they they hear that she does like a young Dola and that is like increases their interest in her I guess. Oh, yeah, I said it well, they're very confused. 
confused. You're like, really? Like, she's going to become mama? And they almost, like, can't even imagine. Yeah. yeah. Very the They're like, oh, okay, now we see it. I think that's the funniest part of it. But uh, it's, it's, it's very weird, all of that. Um, it'd be, it, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, I think, I think the amount we've discussed it is, is the, the amount it uh, yeah. is important to the movie. Um, okay, back to this being uh, that we've discussed a lot of elements, including that one, which is like, is this a kid's movie? But I think like the Mizaki's intent is, uh, is to make more of a, a quote unquote kids movie coming off of uh, Nashka, which is aimed at kind of young men. And uh, he, uh, you know, I think the, the difference between his kids movies in like this and Spirited Away, which I also think is a quote unquote kids movie versus like a Naushka or a Mononoke. I don't think it's a noticeable difference to us, our vantage point. Um, I think it's maybe just like the general perspective. Uh, it's the same thing with a lot of like old, old older kid shows we cover um, in terms of this, like not being a super meaningful distinction. But I think the bigger thing is Miyazaki wants to um, like make a movie about kids. I have a quote from Susan Napier here. Um, at a time when Japanese animators were increasingly aiming for males in their teens and twenties, they, uh, they graduated from heartfelt, even sentiment, sentimental entertainment and sought out edgier heroes in more adult situations. Miyazaki hated this new direction. So you want to see bad characters, you fool? Miyazaki asked. <laughs> he he went on to criticize the sort of bad character who talks back impudently to his elders. Miyazaki ended his critique with characteristic vehemence. When I see that sort of thing, the characters seem so obnoxious, I feel like knocking them down. The director believed in creating child characters who were believable and interesting, but also fundamentally decent. Rather than presenting obnoxious little terrors, he carefully developed children who contend with calamity and even catastrophe while maintaining a resilient and upbeat attitude. Um, so you got some great Miyazaki quotes in there, as there are a lot of you fool. Um, Man, that is so, it makes so much sense watching this movie. I, I think this is what you, you described in the beginning, Michelle. It's just the, yeah. That, that's the, that's the enjoyment of Shidampazi, like in a nutshell. They're just, they're, they're decent people who were decent to each other. And like, I don't know, it's a very hopeful message in the way like Nausicaa's like navigating a world that is so fraught by like the damage humanity has done to it, to the planet and to itself. Um, I feel like Pat and Shita are very much like the younger generation, like facing the, the like destruction of the adult world. And they turn away from the ultimate power and decide to destroy it for the sake of like the earth and just like, the more simpler lives they want to go back to. Like they don't, they want to, they want to go on this adventure, but they don't want to have the adventure forever. Like the real end of the adventure for them is going back and meeting Sheeta's yaks on her farm, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they just, they're just such, uh, like, uh, joyful, charismatic kind of like, uh, just good. Like they, they, they're really sympathetic. I mean, uh, Pazu's not the type of character that I think is, is sometimes sim- inherently sympathetic to people like us. Um, but he's just so sweet and great. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. he's very genuine. Like, he always yeah. checks in with Sheeta. He always makes sure she's okay. He's so respectful of her. He's yeah, so respectful. Yeah. And like, Sheeta in turn is like very trusting of him. Like, and, and they like trust each other to be each other's strength, which is just like so good to see. Because like again, in like the eighties and the nineties, like a lot of boy girl dynamics are like, oh, girls suck. Oh, boys are too stupid. And that's like literally it. <laughs> And, until they get old enough to date each other and then sometimes it's still kind of there and it's just the yeah. worst thing even after they start dating uh, it's still there yeah it's still that and so okay, it's like okay. to see them but, just like each other as people I, and like whether or not they're like attracted to each other it's like 
they just they think like Maddie was saying like they're both kids and they just like they think each other are so cool and they want to help out each other and they don't question each other they just get it done you know and they lift each other up I I just think it's so incredible that like their their introductions are so short like this movie's two hours and it's like their introductions are so short and they meet each other so early in it but I know who they are. The like the, by the time they're meeting in that in that scene where they wake up, where uh, Sheeta wakes up in that hut, I already know their characters alone, and I'm just here to see what they're like together because we get to see Sheeta like escape and all that, and that whole scene is in, like really fantastic and fun, and you get to see what Sheeta's character kind of is, and then we get to see Pazu's when he catches her in that whole just really short bit where he catches her and sets her down and puts his coat on her and then immediately runs off to do his work is so just really really tight and i really like how quickly it gets across who this kid is i just i love a lot of this there's just so many like the more i'm thinking about what we're talking about it the more i love these like little scenes that like how much they get across about the characters so quickly yeah i agree and i think i think these uh there's not the time put in in the beginning with these characters to make these like super deep characterizations it's just kind of like you get you you get on the movie gets you on the level that you're supposed to be with pazu and shida very quickly and like holds that and and develops their relationship and i think it like works so well for the story that they're telling um but yeah the movie yeah movie over two hours spends very little time in the beginning and then spends only like half an hour at laputa at the end so it's like a, this, <laughs> it's, it's an a adventure it's, 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 the it's a journey, journey movie. yeah the yeah. yeah yeah exactly i think that's what this movie is definitely going for um close close out the characters we're talking about we've talked about her a little bit already in dola um, oh, oh my god the most pleasant surprise in all of anime Wow, Dola, the granny space pirate. Yeah. Like even saying that's like why the did you coolest. say space pirate? They're not in space. Sky, well, sky pirate. Sky pirate. <laughs> space guy. You know, maybe they go to space sometimes. Who knows? Oh, but she's amazing. Just like oh my god. Like again, like her body just like defies everything. It is the most <laughs> amazing grandma. But like she got heft. She she got a thick build and and she has fun and she is so good at like you know using giant guns and bel- balancing precariously on exploding like train cars and just like oh my god she's so like she I love that she kind of has like this witch energy just because like she's she's old and she has kind of a cackly voice at least in the the Japanese um, sub version. And she's just having fun. She just loves her job. And she's very, she's cutthroat, but she also is like one of those amazing characters that like, even though she's really tough, she has a molten core. She has a soft heart behind all of her, her sky pirating ways. And when it's pierced by the right children, she becomes a grandma to them. <laughs> and it's the juxtaposition of that, just soft, molten core grandma that oh, has a million sons who admire her and will follow her into any battle. And this amazing, tough, like, thick, like, space pirate grandma who will just go after anything if it's shiny and she wants it. And she's so easy. Like, when do we ever see Dola in the world? Like, how did, I mean, the more I learn about Miyazaki just through your research, still in the more I'm like, okay, this, this makes sense. But like, Dola, man, like, I never saw her coming when I was 15, but I was just like, oh my God. Like, 
where have you been in my life? You know, <laughs> is this the most Michelle tangent ever? That was, it was, I mean, it was on topic. I mean, on it was, topic it was uh, yeah, no, it was very Michelle. It was great. Uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> Michelle loves Do- Dola is um, a uh, entry in this long line of uh, really incredible older women characters <laughs> that Miyazaki has. And uh, you could argue she is maybe the best one. I think there's an argument I really for that. I, I don't think that. I think one thing Miyazaki really likes is his varied old lady characters. Yeah. He's like, think about the the witch in like Spirited Away. Like, I think just as interesting a character as Dola, but like very different. You got all those grannies and Ponyo. <laughs> you, all you, those got, you got the nice neighbor granny in Totoro. You got the granny. Yeah, I mean, we just, we just had Kushana last yeah. Uh, there movie. are so yeah. many freaking cool grannies and they're all different but they're all so old and even like sophie for half the movie and howl's a grandma <laughs> and i love that he draws them like super super wrinkly and baggy and sometimes they have these giant like warts on their faces but they're still like supposed to be super sweet and lovable as these like old kind of crony women and it's just like oh my god mizaki like you love grandma so much like I have more appreciation for grandmas in media because of you. You spend so much time with them. Yeah. Okay, you're that. talking about yeah. Yeah, you're talking yeah, about grannies, which is a good yeah, one. Cool. You're talking, yeah, I was talking about, you know, like middle-aged and older women too. Yeah. And I think there's both That's of those, true. but yeah, you're right. There's also like, uh, you know, she could relate her to the witches and spirit away and stuff. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking about the, uh, Miyazaki's mom analog characters in every movie. This is definitely Dola. Here's a quote from Susan Napier. She says, Dola is widely considered to be an affectionate homage to Miyazaki's mother, Yoshiko, who had died during the making of Nausicaa. While this inquisitive, morally up, upright, uh, Nas- while the inquisitive, morally upright Nasuka also shares elements of Yoshiko Miyazaki's personality, Dola's, uh, Dola's meddlesomeness and flamboyance <laughs> clearly accord with the Miyazaki, ch- Miyazaki children's memory of their mother. Miyazaki's younger brother, Shiro, wonders whether at some level y- Laputa was an awkward but ardent farewell present to their recently deceased mother. Aww. So Aww. She is mischievous. Aww. You remember that part where she rips the meat off and holds it in her mouth? And it's so lovingly animated. She, like, raises her eyebrow. It's so good. Like, what an amazing character. They even yeah, that- make a fart joke with her. Like, they run the gambit <laughs> with Dola. They really oh, yeah, do. Oh, yeah, I forgot they had a fart joke. I know, right? In this movie, it's like, this movie gets really, like, scary. There's a lot of murder sometimes, but also, like, just have a fart joke. Why not? Yeah. We can have fun still. Yeah, I think the flamboyance of Dola really stands out among all these other types of characters. And she yeah, takes she... Her, dre- her skirt off to reveal pants because she's like, all right, activate business mode. Gotta steal these kids. Yeah. <laughs> she's just so good. steal these kids. business mode? That's yeah, business mode for pirates, I guess. business mode. I also yeah. just think it's really cool. Before we move on from Dola, I just want to gush. So... She has a partner. I think it's very interesting that she's very much like the muscle slash like head of tactical operations. Like she's the one who looks in the map. She's the one who figures navigation strategy. She goes out on the ships, her little dragonfly ships with all of her boys and gets the treasure. Her husband stays on the ship and he's like the mechanical engineer person. Mm. And they, they're very comfortable in this arrangement. Yeah. Like they really seem to like each other a lot. Like they had that nice little moment playing chess when they're just talking everything over. Um, and I just also think that's really cool just seeing like this pair of people who have like different interests and it's not a big deal that Dola is like kind of the one leading most of the like adventures that they have. 
like it, it it works for them. And in some ways, I think it's a nice parallel to Shita and Pazu as a younger generation. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, were you surprised to learn she hadn't ranted yet? Um, yeah, you're. Yeah, you. you no, she's a like, gush. Yeah, now I just want to gush this one. No, that whole thing was a gush, but they, we yeah. loved it. Okay, it was. It was <laughs> Sorry, it, I just had to ask. No, I, I was going to say stuff about Dola, but Michelle covered it all. So there oh, you go. Ahead. A, oh, no, God. I have <laughs> nothing to say about Dola. Like literally nothing. That Michelle has done. No, no, Michelle, you, you cover it, but just the, her reacting to the scene of uh, Pazu and Sheeta in the, while they're keeping watch, I think it's just this uh, amazing soft side of her. And uh, yeah, the, 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 you talked about that earlier in your Dola speech, but that's, that's one of my favorite parts her of her. You see her face of shock when he's like, she puts on a strong front, but she's really softy. And Dola's like, oh, he knows. <laughs> it's so cute. That's true. Yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah. That's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I thought this was going to be my first topic, but we went into other directions. So we'll see. We'll see how much time we get spent. <laughs> Are you but... surprised, Dylan, with us? No, I shouldn't have been surprised. The, uh, we talk, we'll talk about this every Miyazaki movie, but the environmentalist uh, aspect of this movie, and then also the morality. But I think it's interesting for uh, for Laputa specifically because it has this potentially open-ended ending that I'm interested to hear your guys' interpretations of. But first we can start with the just the environmentalist aspects, which I think are largely seen through once we arrive at Laputa and how it's kind of been overrun by nature. Um, you see the the robots caring for uh the, the I guess just the one caring for the the natural elements of uh of Laputa. We see that underneath Laputa is a tree at its core, and uh, at the end it starts floating into space. Actually, space this time. Um, <laughs> upper sky, upper, upper sky, uh, maybe towards space eventually. Um, and uh, we've been talking about Sheeta's uh, speech towards uh, Muska. Uh, here's here's the 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 kind of climactic line she says your weapons may be powerful your pitiful robots may be many but you can't survive apart from the earth um which you can't survive apart from the earth is kind of the uh, i think tentpole environmentalist line of this movie mm-hmm. and uh you know uh, muska's trying to have this like cold technologically driven uh takeover of Laputa but Laputa at its core is just a tree and that's kind of like his undoing I guess and uh want to note that this line in the dub at the end is uh this war the world cannot live without love which yes, I interesting. Okay. which I found to be a um I I'm, I don't like that translation because I, I think Earth it loses and love the... are similar but definitely not the same thing yeah. one's more specific <laughs> that so I, that also that um Thank you, Dylan, because that explains <laughs> one of my uh, biggest gripes with the movie. Oh, okay. What was that? I-, I just thought that the end of it didn't really tie into the messages that I know Miyazaki likes hitting on, and I didn't think that things really tied together well with, like, I-, I still think it's very loose, but I think that it ties together a little bit better knowing that that was what was really being said there. Mm, it's it's That's, like, the most explicit uh, environmentalist yeah. line of the movie. Um but there's also the cert- title. Yeah. So you got Sheeta. You know she she bonks Misk on the head. She falls out. She falls off the ship. But then you cut to that title that sequence, and you see the rise and fall of the Laputians. Lip- I guess Leputians. the Laputians, because like you you see like it starts out very basic with like a dude and like a propeller on a stick. 
by a windy valley. And then it escalates to, you know, digging machines underground that have propeller systems. And then there's a whole fleet of them in the air. And then finally, there's like these floating castle cities. And then you see one fall and all these people get off the ship. And then you cut to Sheeta, like standing with her yak with the similar propeller thing over a valley and like that tells you like all you need to know it's like that, they figured out technology they tried to get away from the earth they failed and they returned and i think the fact that like the tree is a big deal but also like the tree was not supposed to be that big they probably planted a pretty small tree and with no one around it was just able to grow its roots everywhere and become so huge and reclaim this very technologically advanced sky empire you know, and I think the reclaiming of the empire is part of why the tree is important, too, because I remember she she has a line with Musco where she says, like, like, you can't like be like our ancestors like they were awful. And th- do you know why they're all extinct now? Mm. Because they couldn't maintain this sky dominance. It like destroyed them. That's what destroyed them. And if you try, you're get- the same thing will happen to you, essentially. Yeah, Michelle, what's so going off of that? What's your interpretation of what the movie is saying at the end? Well, Laputa becomes is is basically just this tree at the end and is floating away from the earth. I think it was like the earth was reclaiming this very man-made thing and kind of restoring the balance. And I think the fact that they would rather destroy the technology, like the very man-made kind of enhancements of the city. And they, they'd rather that be gone and go back to their home and and live on the planet than to be in the sky, like, says a lot for, you know, their connection to the Earth. But again, honestly, Dylan, the first, like, five million times I watched this movie, I didn't think a lot about the messaging because I feel like it's not nearly as overt as... Yeah, that's what I was going to say, I think. (laughs) It's not as obvious, but I feel like it's there, but it's also just, you can sum it up by just saying, like, you shouldn't divorce yourself from the planet. Like, you need that to really be human and to really survive long term. Yeah, at the core for sure, I would say exactly what you're saying is um to don't don't divorce yourself from the planet. I think certainly this movie as as kind of Maddie was getting at this movie's um messaging isn't as 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 clear or overt as other Miyazaki movies. Was that a negative for you Maddie or is it uh how did you react to that and the ending of the movie? I'm not sure how I feel about it to be honest because I know enough about Miyazaki, even though I haven't seen all his movies, to know that he is very big into this environmentalism. And I... Not that, not that that's a bad thing. I, I realize that I said that kind of in a way that might be a bad thing. I am definitely not against that. But I think that it distracted me specifically because I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it from the movie to dive into that. And I think that's just a problem with my viewing of it not the problem with the movie itself, because I was distracted by outside knowledge of the film. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could, I could totally see that. Um, and, uh, it's, it, it, it's, I think like you get this scene where, uh, Shita and Pazu are arrive at Laputa and it's, it's nature now and everything, the robots are connected with nature and everything's connected. And I, I think maybe you expect the to get really deep, much yeah. deeper into that. 
that, and that's typically when I was expecting it. Yeah, the movie instead does this kind of action climax with, uh, with the technology and and with the villain, which I think is part of all of the messaging. Yeah, because um, it's like they almost don't even have time to really enjoy it because there's already this like very invasive force there that's like ripping gold off the walls. And exploding things to get to all the gold. And there's just this mad, greedy scramble. Juxtaposed, like, their very quiet, kind of Mm. intimate admiration of just everything around them. Yeah, so I I think that's really interesting because his other movies don't, like... Don't they don't like pan away from the the scene with the you think the messaging is coming and I think it fits with just this light lighthearted adventure movie that we don't dive too deep into anything but um, certainly I think it plays against expectations of Miyazaki this ending of Laputa going away from the Earth is um, potentially one of the vaguest and most fascinating elements of a Miyazaki movie this ending with this um and I mean we could you know we could spend a long time talking about it I don't think we there's that much to concrete to get into um Susan Napier and her uh, cast in the sky chapter spend several paragraphs talking about it, and there's just a lot of different theories about what what's being said here um here's one section about it being an open-ended ending uh in its final section the movie comes a provocative eco-fable posing in unexpected ways the larger and profound contemporary questions about how humanity deals with technology and nature laputa seems to leave these questions open it ends with a vision of the shining castle and meshed in green roots but taking off into the open sky the children and the pirate family left behind to fly into an empty space Naushka ended in an affirmation of the interconnectedness between humans and the natural world. Laputa's vision of the fl- castle flying away blends science fiction and fantasy to ask whether humanity even deserves to be part of the world. It offers an unsettling view of humankind as orphans in exile from a potentially utopian home. I... Um, th- this notion of Laputa as a utopia, I think, is kind of uh, interesting at the end here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's what the movie's even saying, though, about Laputa. Like, if it's a utopia. I think it's certainly posited as a potential utopia by certain characters and civilizations in the world. It's like they're Atlantis, right? So you can see that as either like a city of gold, of treasure, or as a city of just like opportunity, like newfound opportunity, or as like Muska, just a city of power. Um, But I mean, it is an interesting thought that like, yeah, it literally is flying away from anything being able to touch it or potentially harm it again like it, it's getting out of the reach of humans certainly by it's going like, into yeah, space yeah it's like out of the reach of humans so yeah. humans don't corrupt it further and mm-hmm. it's also like humans don't get this is yeah. kind of like it's, it's, i i really like that though because like you they, they do focus on like she kind of like wistful expression as they fly away from it for the last time and she's not happy she just she kind of looks like she's letting go of something really big that she knows she'll never see again but i do think out of anyone i feel like the movie really like it it trusts that Sheeta and pazu are going to be able to inherit whatever their earth looks like right now in a way that's going to be positive for the future because they haven't really like super grown and matured throughout the whole movie it's more that just like they've always had these really strong true convictions that the movie validates and poses against like like the the adults that don't want what they want for bad reasons presumably and like even like the space pirates like they still just kind of like treasure they don't really care about the earth like they get along with shita and Pazu, but like their goals aren't 100% aligned either. 
which is also interesting. Like, I wonder how much of it is like a generational kind of conversation about like what's important and who's going to inherit what and like what value should we place on things? And like, does being an adult complicate that because you, you're supposed to want like power and money and control and she didn't pass you like don't care about any of that. Like they're willing to destroy all of Laputa <laughs> to not have that. I think that's really interesting because I saw those th- themes, but that's not like the ending message I got from it. Just having watched mm-hmm. it two hours ago at this that's point. Fair, fair. <laughs> I, cause I saw it like there's the scene, like there's the really, like I can already tell that it's iconic, the seed with the robot and like all the wildlife around him. And he's just kind of tending to it. And it was just so, it showed that the earth has no problem with technology inherently. It's the mm-hmm. way we use it. Yeah. And that's the message that I really got that it wasn't ever about technology being bad. It was about people being bad and that technology itself can interact with wildlife and nature in a way that is positive. Cause that robot was tending to these, this wildlife and these animals for like seeing it as almost like a guardian. And I thought that was really interesting and really powerful i wish we had more of that but again i think that's kind of normal with miyazaki films and that like this certain scenes i want more of them and i really enjoyed that but it leaves me conflicted on what exactly the the shot at the end there means because here's this technology here's the technology that everyone in the movie was hunting after and it's out of reach of anybody and i think that that it either means that some technology is always like can never be good in human hands. Like some technology just can't be good. And like, that's like a thing in Japanese media because of very obvious real world connections to, to uh, real life events. And I think that it's interesting to make that connection to how like some technologies just can't be used by humans in a way that is positive for the earth. But I don't think the movie is inherently saying that technology is bad. That's, what I'm trying right. To it's at. like what what do people in power do with technology? Yeah, the problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I agree with all that, and I think you could just as you could interpret like humanity doesn't get this utopia. You could interpret it as this is a thing that was corrupted by mankind's desires, and now we're moving away from it. Um, yeah, type of, type of yeah, thing like that. you had your chance and you botched it, so goodbye. You know, and, and it's like the, the hope for humanity is on Earth now, not on Laputa. And it's yeah, almost- yeah, exactly. Like you gotta go back to the Earth to make things right. And I almost think that, like, movie saying, like, this part of Laputa, this part of the technology, this wasn't inherently bad, but this part, you should never have made it to begin with. It's saying, like, hey, why didn't you just stop at this? Look how beautiful this is. Look how beautiful this garden is. This place with all this wildlife and this enormous greenhouse. Like, you caused this. You created this by, like, however, like, whatever, like, order of events that caused that. But it's saying that, like, why'd you go further with the, the weapons, too? Like, why yeah. did you do that? Why I think did... that's super fair. Because, like, when Sheeta talks about, like, the old ancestors, the Laputians. Oh, it's Laputians. hard to say it every time. Yeah, but, like, you, when you see that intro, like, it was, like, they started off just making things for the sake yeah. of just, like, making things. Like, they made digging machines to make their jobs easier. They made planes to fly places they could explore more. And then they made cities because it was, like, exciting and cool. And it only tore them apart when their technology got advanced to a point where they decided they could use it to, like, destroy other people. And that's what killed them, not necessarily everything leading up to that. So it was really about their greed more than anything. So I think that totally fits. 
Yeah, I think it's a great discussion on on like what the movie is saying and what it might be saying with the ending. I think um, the other like quickly the other aspect is just like this. Uh, it's talked about in that chapter in the book. There's this sense of loss from the ending. You know, this is something they're chasing after the entire time, and then it's floating away at the end. Um, and that's kind of like an interesting theme of the movie, just in general. More of more of a bittersweet ending. Then, uh, for the, from the previous movie, it has a very hopeful ending. You know, I think it's happy this ending of this movie, but you also get this, um, this, this notion of this gorgeous thing that we just experienced is, is leaving. And, um, even if it's a positive for humanity, even if it's something that, that humanity ruins and we're moving past it now, it still, I think, is, is a little, um, sad at the end to see the Laputa going away. And it's it's yeah. an interesting it tone is, to yeah. to end the movie on. It's very wistful. Wistful. That's nice. Word, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, I just I just realized I had a dub question. Was yes. the song at the end subbed for you? It's Sub? in Japanese at that. Yeah, but, 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 but do they sub it for you? Did they? Did they like have? Uh, no, there weren't. On the, okay, there, that's what I'm asking because yeah. I had no. I don't remember. <laughs> Like, cause, cause for me, it was just like, all of a sudden there was Japanese and it was kind of, yeah. <laughs> oh, they, it's good that they kept the song. They dubbed yeah, some of the later Japanese songs for Miyazaki. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm glad they kept the song. It's just that I'm like sitting there like, I wish I knew what this song was. Like, I wish I knew what they were singing. Yeah. It's called Carrying You. It's yes, Carrying You. Iconic. Okay. We'll get back to the soundtrack in a second. Um, so uh, that's, oh, that's a good discussion. Music. We haven't talked about the music okay, yet, What we haven't talked about. Uh, I, I need to talk. Okay. So we talked about one of my three favorite scenes of the movie, which was uh the the Pazu and Shita keeping watch and Dola listening in. Uh favorite scene of this movie could, might be one of one of if not my favorite scene of all time in anything is Ooh. what we what we've talked about Pazu and Shita arriving at Laputa. There's an 8, eight minute sequence of when they land they uh see the the robot there it saves the the bird's nest um they are uh, just like seeing Laputa. They they like uh, are laughing on the grounds. They go into inside and they're like walking through this forest. They see the other robot that had connected with the, the Earth and like just that 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 whole sequence. That's like the high point of the movie for me. Um, it's it's so magical. Uh, everything about it. it's one of the most gorgeous scenes ever. Uh, so so many incredible backgrounds and and animation in that scene and. Um, yeah, I just I, I I really really love the them them arriving Laputa. I Wait. oh sorry. Go oh, no go ahead, Maddie. Uh, I just think that like I won't go into the other scene. I actually think that was my second favorite scene. I loved that scene a lot though, and I loved like I was saying about. I think I got into it when I was talking about the robot and like how that was like clearly the messaging for me, and I just I haven't talked about the animation much just because. It's amazing. The animation's amazing. But there's the shot when they're tied together mm-hmm. and like they lean over the edge and they spin and they almost fall off and Pazu <laughs> like throws them back on the side. And it's just so energetic and I love it. And it just made me happy yeah. watching them be happy in this place. It was it was just so pure and good. Yeah, that's in the yeah. beginning of that scene we're talking about, yeah. The energy is so real. I feel very similarly. Like one of my standout scenes is honestly when they both, when they're getting chased by Dola and the the rest of the Sky Pirates and they're like hanging onto the edge of this like breaking down train track and they fall and then the the necklace does the glowy thing and they're just holding hands floating down. And Pazu's like, I knew it would do it. Yeah, he's so awesome. 
he like almost falls off and he like grabs his hand on both of hers to stay on. It's just like that kind of energetic, just kid wonder with no reservations. He's just living high in this moment, despite everything that's going on. It's just this joyous energy. That's so infectious. Like, and that they, their relationship has that so many times. And it's one of the fun parts about the movie for sure. Yeah, that's great. They're holding hands a lot in the movie. It's it's really good. They do that in that the sequence I was talking about too. A uh, la- other sequence I want to highlight is the the first time we see the the robot and the robot uh, is, is when they're in kind of the fortress. The robot uh, activates and starts destroying the fortress. Oh, that is really cool. Um, some of the best some of the best animation of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Just the the reds of the scene, the red color palette is incredible. That's, that's what I mean. The animation, like the shot of it blowing up that like those two iron like those two metal doors and it like pooping down onto it like that scene is so well animated it's so gorgeous and so destructive it's just oh i loved that scene so much yeah at one point he like just makes it all like molten liquid so he can punch through it it's just like he's got so many ways to like get to sheeta (laughs) there's nothing gonna stop him yeah, that, that, yeah, just that, that that animation in that scene. Another animation I want to highlight is there's a brief scene of Pazu and Cheetah inside this uh, the the cloud before they get into uh, Laputa. Um, just a really interesting style of animation there as well. Is that when the lightning is like kind of dancing? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And Pazu like almost sees them. Like he has like the memory of his dad being in a similar storm when he took the picture. Mm-hmm. Just like kind yeah. of for him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it, this is one of the most gorgeous movies ever. Like, uh, just the, those scenes, this the, the all these scenes we talked about, just in general in the movie. The the the, the cave scene is gorgeously yes, animated too with the crystals. Scene. Yeah, that, and when like when he gets just like on his roof with his little trumpet, and it's yeah. like he's like calling the town to wake up almost, that, mm-hmm. and you just see the birds go over, and you just like you see the shot of this gorgeous little mining town, and it's just such a wonderful sense of place right there. It's so good. That is actually my favorite scene in the entire yeah. But I can't talk about why I love it because we haven't talked about the score yet. And I just <laughs> love the music. Okay, we can get back we to can the get score. There. Uh, quick, some quick other topics before we get to the score. Um, the robots, I want to talk about the robots a little bit more. I think this is in line with this iconic line of Miyazaki creatures, um, the, the robots from this movie. The Ohm from Nausicaa. Um, I mean, you got Totoro coming up. That's the most iconic Miyazaki creature. Uh, you got the, yeah, the, the, but soup balls are a close second. The the, the, the yeah, the dust uh, sprites. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a, a, a long. Uh, <laughs> they may they would probably be the second most merchandised. <laughs> I think uh, so. Thing. But the, the ro- yeah, the robot here is. Uh, I love these robots. They're so influential on uh, on more in- animation to come. Um, the uh, I want I want I also I always want to call these the guardians um, because uh, the, at the when I visited the Ghibli Museum last year, there's a. Uh, the highlight, I guess, in terms of like biggest thing is there's a giant uh, robot from Laputa at the top of the building and you go and take pictures with it. And uh, it's 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 really cool. And that, that one's called Aww. the Guardian of the of the Ghibli Museum. Um, and uh, just just the, these robots start that they the, the, you see the destruct the dest- destructive power in the scene in the fortress. And then you see like them harmonious with nature with uh with, with that scene of them arriving there. And uh, then you see them being destructive again and activated. Yeah. Um, just uh some of the yeah that's like i feel like is some of the most uh blatant messaging of the movie but just the the power the design of the robots how they're used in the animation 
Um, that's this is like if I think of Laputa, I, I think I think of one image. I think of uh, the robot from this movie, the design of the robot. Um, and uh, I, yeah, no, I, I think like like this is um, it's interesting. This is like Miyazaki's. Uh, concession in a way to the interests of Japan at the time. Like I said, they're like more into sci-fi and fantasy and robots, totally into (laughs) robots. And so he makes a robot and then he like does it. It's the same thing with like the, the monster from uh, Nausicaa. It's like, and then you kind of subvert it and you make it like used for evil. And like, it's supposed to be uh, it's ideal form is like being in tune with nature. And he like suits it to his themes. Like totally. Yeah. I feel like when it's, Especially when it's when like so many of them are deployed on the castle in the sky by Mosca, like the way they move is so different. Like they're always kind of like scuttling around on their legs like spiders, which is like super terrifying. But when they're like just being guardians, they're like they walk around like humans, like which is kind of interesting, I think, too. Like, I don't know exactly what that means. But, like, even the way they, like, respond to things feels very different in their body language, depending on if they're doing something under the command of, like, some guy or they're just left alone for thousands of years and come into this role of tending to things instead. Yeah, we get to see the fox squirrels uh, from <laughs> for the a hot second. I, yes. I knew immediately, Dylan, that looking at those things, I'm like, this is Dylan's favorite moment in the entire movie. <laughs> it looks like an Eevee. That's why. It does. <laughs> it's, it's for, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's uh, Tato from the lab, from Nasca, but uh, there are a bunch oh. of them there on, on top of the, the thing. Yes. And, you know, Fox Squirrel, inspiration for the hybrid animals in Avatar. Okay, let's, okay, I mentioned that. So let's go, uh, let's, uh, regular segment. What did this movie influence in all of the other thing, animated properties we talk about in this podcast? <laughs> So, cause, so this uh, we talked a ton about this in Nashka, but like, let's start with Avatar and Korra. I think the most obvious analog in Avatar and Korra to Castle in the Sky is the Cave of Two Lovers. Uh, the love is brightest in the dark. Like you take, you, you could put out the torchlight, much like they do in this, and the the crystals light up in the in the cave. Um, totally, just directly from this movie. I that, mean, so. bioluminescence is a thing. It's but... obviously a thing in general, but the use, <laughs> I think the use of it in, the, the use of it in this movie, specifically putting out the thing to light up the way, I feel like is, uh, is, is taken from here. And I love that. The other Avatar, uh, connection i saw which i haven't i don't know if i've seen this talked about too much but the we, we I, I talked about how paz and cheetah go into this cloud to then go into laputa mm-hmm. that looks like the glacier in the beginning of avatar to me like it looks like very oh, similar very in spinny. Kind of yeah. circular spinny yeah. form yeah i see yeah. it i see very, like visual very, very inspiration very. from that <laughs> Um, the the robots we've talked about them. Uh, they're Iron Giant. Um, this has not been something that has been uh, explicitly talked about. I think by Brad, Brad Brad Bird, but I feel like the Iron Giant, the movie, a lot of inspiration from the robots in this movie. Um, the uh, I I read that Brian in the, the Mike, of Mike and Brian, the creators of Time Cora in the Cora Book for Art book, talked about how the the giant uh, mecha at the in the Cora series finale is uh, inspired by the robots in this movie, among oh, other things. Not surprised okay. at all. Okay, yeah, um, they have good in, taste. In the uh, in Susan Napier book, she talks about how she thinks Wally is largely inspired I, by the robots in this movie. Aww, I I hate yeah. to ask this, Dylan. Is this why we got those? hummingbird mechs at the end of Korra. 
Oh, go Maybe. visit the dragonfly Maybe. mech. Yeah. I th- think, as we'll see, oh, as we'll man. cover, a lot of things have turned court uh, inspired by a lot of elements of these movies. But this one, so the end, and this one, no exception. Uh, the random thing is then in Steven Universe towards the end of season five, I think Stephen Conyer in like in jail, like a, in, in Gem Home World, which is like oh, the yeah. same scene as Pazu in this movie when he's uh, being. Uh, in, in in kept inside the fortress. Yeah, Stephen's like trying to push his way out. I think. Yeah. There's yeah. also just in my education when they're both falling, holding hands. That's either Spirited Away or Castle mm. in the Sky too, like directly. Nice. Nobody uh, else um, holds hands falling from the sky like those two pairs that, that, of children. Yeah. <laughs> either Chikita you're not allowed unless you're unless you're Miyazaki characters. Yeah, that's it. Uh, mo- most recently, um, the spoiler. Skip out a minute for Shira if you haven't seen the last season. Uh, the uh, at the end, the the ship is turned into a tree and then is set floating in into space. space. Totally, <laughs> it's the exact yeah. same thing as that. I was shook movie. by that. I was like, "Oh, they watched my favorite movie." <laughs> I'm so glad. Tree, space trees, uh, like space sky trees, trees giant Nobody sky trees. This is a this no. This is a mythology part. element. Like this is a thing. But yeah, uh, the fact that it's turned into it like reveals to be a tree and then it's like it's very very similar to the imagery of this movie. Um, at the end here. Yeah. Uh, so that's an interesting thing at the end of this year. Um, so there's a lot of stuff there. Uh, this is right uh, 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 with Na- Nasca and some of the later ones too. Just a very influential, I think, movie on on animation. Um, the oh, we uh, I was okay. Still putting off the score. One more topic. We haven't talked wow, about the their, just the setting. Their their hometown. So the steam the steampunk element of this movie. Now I can tell. No, 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 no. Uh, just uh, this was going to be this was going to be one of my top top topics, and we didn't even get to it until now. Yeah, we, no, we're getting to it now. I'm excited! Yay! It's a steampunk fantasy movie. Top. It's a big. It's a big element of uh, this, and their their hometown is uh, this 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 movie is a very European setting, and the the Pazu's hometown specifically is inspired by Wales, where Miyazaki took a trip to right before he made this movie, and. Oh. Uh, Oh, I didn't know that. So, like, he went there to, like, study stuff and figure out. Location scouting uh, for this movie. Uh, And he uh, saw the miners and the strife of the miners. And they went on, like, they went on strike during this time. And that maybe inspires some collectivity kind of themes. Um, Miyazaki, I think, was, like, a strike captain when they were at Toei Animation, which is interesting. Um, and, uh, or, and, uh, yeah, just the, this, this whole inspiration of the, this, the Welsh miners, uh, which, uh, you see reflected in their hometown and translates into this, like, steampunk world, um, which, uh, I think this, you know, considered a very influential steampunk movie, too, on a lot of modern, uh, steampunk fantasy. Um, so, uh, this, the ships, all the ships, um, Pause when she'd have their little ornithopter, is I think what it would be called. <laughs> oh my god, uh, I love that you know that. Well, no, it's, it's, thinking about it. <laughs> it's, it's honestly not. They know in the book they should call it an ornithopter. Oh my god, I hate it. Book. Yeah, it's a real ship. I yeah. like it. <laughs> I yeah. Hate it. So, uh, yeah. Any any comments in general, broadly on uh, just the, the overall setting of the movie? I love the town. I love the town. It's so. It's so comfy. It feels like a real town, and these feel like legit poor like people. <laughs> like, there's a one point where like Pazu at the beginning, he's like struggling with the elevator because like, yay, it's a big boy job, and he doesn't know how to do it gracefully yet, but he's trying. And they push out this cart, and they're like so exhausted, and it's really late in the day, and they're like, we didn't find like anything. I guess we'll have to come back tomorrow. It just seems so disheartening. 
and they're not in a great situation, but the town itself is just like, they seem like just really decent people. Like they protect Cheetah and Pazu as soon as they realize they're in trouble and hold off all of the pirates so that they can escape. And just like, they just seem to have this sense of community, especially with Pazu. Cause like he lives alone on the top of a hill, but they like check in on him and they like give him meatballs for his boss. And you just like get a sense that like, this is just like a real community of people that takes care of each other, even if they don't have a lot. And that's just like, like so good, like salt of the earth town, but like in the best ways, you know? Yeah, that's definitely what they're going for. That kind of salt of the earth uh, vibe. Um, also, like rocks of the earth. Yeah, I, I like actually that. had something to say. <laughs> yes. Uh, not geology. I'm not going to go geology. Oh, that's what I thought, oh, I thought you were excited going. Well, no, about I, I have I, rocks. Well, I'll I'll say something about it. But like, the whole thing with me for this town is. I've really connected with, like, when I like a location, I really connect to the, with the visuals. Like, if I don't think it's visually different or interesting, I don't really, it doesn't really stick in my memory. And one thing that I noticed with this movie is that the way they make the town different most of the time doesn't have to do with what's actually in the town. It has to do with the way they frame it and the way they have the camera. Because the camera's almost always framed a little higher than I would expect. Like, the sky has this bigger portion than it does, than the ground does almost all the time. You, like, during the scene when um, Pazu is playing the trumpet, it shows Pazu standing on the, on the roof, and the roof is very low, and there's all this sky around him. Mm-hmm. And it really bring, gives off this, like, it really makes you feel like the sky is enormous, and there's this, there's so much space there. Like, obviously, like, the sky is big. Like, I'm not trying to be stupid, but it's just trying to give you this idea of how expansive and how I think Pazu views the sky as this place that the castle is hidden. And I really enjoy that. Like once we're like, it it really feels like the camera wants to be like let loose into the sky the whole time they're there. And then the other thing I really enjoyed about it was when they finally get into the sky and we're looking down at the city. I really like the little touch of there's all these like sinkholes everywhere because of all the mining all mm-hmm. there's all these pockmarks in the ground of where they dug a little too much and all the surface has like fallen in on itself and i really like that at first i was like oh was there a war here and then i looked a little closer i'm like oh no this is from all the mining it's it's really i just think there was a lot of it, and we didn't really get to see much of it. We saw a few of them from the ground, but like really from the from the sky, you see that there's like tons of them all along this valley. Yeah, that that's awesome point. Um, and uh, love the 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 camera and the sky kind of analysis. Like that's great. I think yeah, this movie is such. Uh, highlights Miyazaki's fascin- fascination with the sky and ships <laughs> again. Air, he kind of loves airships his once planes. Again. Oh boy. Yes. So this movie has some interesting plane designs compared to some other ones too. And you get a very like steampunk uh, kind of in, in theme with uh, the setting and everything. Um, okay. Love all that. La- last thing that's the score last major topic. Thank God. Say, there's other things to bring up. Um, so this is the second uh, score uh, legendary anime composer. Joe Hisaishi has done for Miyazaki. I think there's an argument. This is one of his best ones. It's, it's incredible. absolutely one of his best it's- ones. Like, 
However you feel about this movie and ranking, this score is top tier. Like, oh my gosh. Like, (laughs) I started listening to this score like 10 years ago and I have not stopped because there's so much variation. What's your highlight, Michelle, since you've listened to so long? Well, the main theme that, you know, the lady sings carrying you, like, we we hear the orchestral version of this in several different ways. Like, it's very sweeping in the beginning. Um, You have the children's kind of choir humming it when Sheeta has her big moment. Um, when she's talking to Muska, um, which is like a re- like a redone version of it that's like really solemn, but also like I don't know, it just sounds like all these young children are like cheering Sheeta on to be like, yeah, you tell him <laughs> he's not gonna get Laputa. Yeah, that's, that's in the destruction of Laputa on the sound. Yeah, like it's all the same theme, just like slightly tweaked, which I think is really nice because it really is like. As much of the soul of the movie as the main two characters are. And it's just like like Maddie was saying early on, it's just like a lot of this movie punches up just how beautiful it is on a whole other level. And it really sucks you into just like how gorgeous a lot of these moments are and how like entrancing like the world is in a way that's like hard to express, but very fun to watch, you know? I... Sorry, can, can I can I comment? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, because I want to talk about that scene when he plays the trumpet. Because that scene yes. is the one thing. One thing I feel bad about is that I've had not enough time to like dissect the the score. I've had not time to say like this is the like I have not been able to internalize. This is the main theme. This is the like this is the different ways they play it during the movie. But just this scene with the trumpet is so fantastic because if you play really close attention none of the brass plays during that scene besides him. And so the rest of the orchestra is just the strings and like oboe and flute and stuff in the background and a little piano near the end when they transition to a different scene. But it's just so carefully constructed so that you don't get distracted from the trumpet because there's only one brass instrument during that whole scene in the background. And it's almost like Pazu's playing like, playing with he's almost playing with an orchestra he's making up in his head like he's playing his song and he's like this is what the orchestra would play around me and it feels very childish and very light and very lovingly crafted that it feels like that and i really love it because when i played it for when i'm like humming a song like i imagine that there's this like i always sometimes imagine that there's like something there with me like there's like the music there with me or there's someone else singing with me like just to harmonize or something and he's imagining that his town is this very quiet very carefully um curated orchestra of just quiet instruments around him as he's waking them all up and i love it awesome i I love that too um some some other as i was listening to the soundtrack some other highlights other than what you guys are talking about my favorite of the soundtrack is a sea of clouds in the moonlight which is what plays when pazu and cheetah are keeping watch um which is just like a softer version of the Pazu and Shida, I believe the Pazu and Shida theme, which does recur throughout the soundtrack. Yeah. There are, if you listen to the whole, whole, whole Hisaishi soundtrack, there are a lot of themes that recur throughout a lot of these. But yeah, that one is specifically, I think, is, is, a uh, is, is just this, this really great soft, uh, one that's, that's playing during that scene. The cave um, music too, I think is, it stands out just because it feels very different from everything else. And it, it has this air of just kind of like mystery beneath the surface. That it's just really, it, it's a nice juxtaposition to like a lot of the more like crazy running around or explosions we see. Like it's a very different vibe. And I feel like that's a good palate cleanser at that point in the movie too. 
Nice. Uh, Castle in the Sky titular song is is what plays when they arrive at Laputa, that scene I've been talking a lot about. Oh, That's yeah. a wonderful one. <laughs> um, I love Sheeta's decision. That's a really gorgeous yes, one to check out on the soundtrack. Is. Is that There's the so one many one? bangers, right? There's so many. Like, a lot. Yeah, I'm not, not even done yet. <laughs> is Sheeta's decision the one that uh, Michelle was talking about with the humming? Not 100% sure when this plays. I don't plays think that it, it's very close to it, like in the score ranking numbers. It's in the, it's in it's in the middle. Not, oh, oh, yeah. oh, so it might have been. Okay, I won't, I won't guess. It's not worth it. Um, so I guess it's after this other one, which I'm trying to Robot Soldier Resurre- Resurrection Rescue, which is when uh, the oh. robot's destroying everything. Oh. Was it with so, yeah. like, join the pirates? Because that was like a big like thing. Yeah, maybe, maybe that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think probably that. Um. Yeah, I guess there's another carrying Yurith chorus. So that's true. Um, I see that one. So maybe it was that one you were talking about earlier. And then the girl who fell from the sky. The intro uh, yeah. song, always the amazing. So iconic. Um, yeah. Um, Maddie, any other stuff from the score? Uh, just that I like again. I wish I had more time to sit with it. Wish I had more like, but that's me being dumb. Like you, we all know that. Like I just struggle with that. I wish I had time to really like dissect it. But I just love like clearly the orchestra itself is incredible. And that alone is just a huge step because there are orchestras that are less good than others. And this one is so good at being quiet, at being just present, but not pushing into the movie. And that's kind of like the best scores are kind of hard to pick out the first viewing, which I struggled with because you're just so focused on what the emotions it's giving you. Yeah, Maddie, I'd say Joey Saishi known as kind of a minimalist composer. Yeah, for sure. And but think, just but despite that, I don't think this is I really don't think this is a minimalist. Like there's a lot of bombastic music. Like during mm-hmm. that chase scene, like the really exciting chase scene, <laughs> yes. right after the manly funny scene that happens, there's all the brass is just coming in in a way that I was not expecting from this movie. It's just the brass is hitting you hard as all these like cars and trains and 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 uh, pirates are are rushing in, and it's just very in your face until we get to the scene where they're in the in the uh cave and then it gets a lot quieter and there's just so much range to the score in this movie that i just mm. am kind of stunned by it that they absolutely have, that he hits all of these and it all feels like the score fits with itself and i really enjoyed it you also just yeah. have that really good moment where like she does like about to explain to pezu like what her lineage is which is right when they get captured and the music goes from like this very like quiet like yeah. version of the score to like this really like sharp kind of like terrified nervous energy that like makes you very uncomfortable but it's so perfect in that moment and like when Sheeta wakes up w- when the the robot finds her and is like shooting around itself out of self defense and she sees like the world just covered in flames and she's horrified like that has a very particular score that has like a lot of that kind of angry energy that feels so right for that moment but yeah, you're right. Like there is a lot of range for the score. I think yeah. now that you've mentioned it, I did really enjoy that every time Musco was on scene in in shot, essentially, the score took this almost uneasy, like yeah. it almost went into I, I have not listened to it again. I would need to listen to it more, but it feels almost like it went into like minor keys a lot and it went um very, very dark and it really changed the tone. And that's probably why I never really questioned mark hamill that he was evil or, or that he's <laughs> yeah. evil like that, that that it was too campy because the movie the score takes the character so seriously and mm-hmm. it takes gives them so much weight to them like the score like in the best movies the score is a character and in this movie they really 
do that. And the score is a character and it just elevates each character in a different way. I need to listen back and see what Dola's theme is because I'm sure that Dola is lifted up in a similar way and I just can't put my finger on it. Yeah, now that I think about it, the music for the, the chase scene with the pirates on the train tracks is like a little more rompy Maybe than that's anything else after. Yeah. But I think that's definitely on purpose because Dola is like not as much as a threat as Muska is. So it's like a little more fun with her music. Now that I'm thinking on it, maybe that's what their theme was. Maybe that's Dola's thing. Because, like, when they're in the pirate ship, it's always so fun and exciting. And when, like, when uh, Pazu comes up beneath her after the fart joke, like, it's very, it's very, very bouncy and fun. And yeah, I, it's, it's a lot yeah. more bouncy. Yeah, it's a good way to and put I, it. And I think that's what might, I, I need, again, need to listen to it. But I think that might be what they add to the, the that, that Dola, Dola's theme adds that to the movie. Instead of being this nice, soft, or nice, um very melodic theme she adds this rambunctiousness rambunctious energy to the cast and the music totally yeah nice i'm I'm looking on spotify i also see symphonic suite castle in the sky from 2018 i'll check that out (laughs) what is that Um, i don't know (laughs) i don't know but you're gonna listen to it you better share that in discord later (laughs) i'll I'll post it it says by joey sisha it seems like an official thing um Okay, yeah, it's it's it's. I'm uh, excited to track the music more. That's something I wasn't as in tune to on uh, previous visitings of all these music movies that I'm paying more attention to now. So it's very exciting to listen to these a lot more. Okay, Michelle, final thoughts. Castle in the Sky. We've talked about a lot. Anything else? I want you to read that note about supportive collectivity because I think it's good. Okay, I can read that. Yeah, um, I, I there's a lot of really interesting things. Some things I I t- try to I'm hesitant to bring up because they're so complicated. So this I think it's kind of hard to talk about. This it. is part okay, of what's appealing, is... just because like I feel like again, like part of what really struck me about Sheeta and Pazu is like I can't think of a Western adventure movie that isn't like so about like self individual actualization. And this movie, which, like, again, it has, like, a lot more Eastern priorities, which tend to be a lot more communal-based than, like, self-based. I feel like the fact that, like, the communities of the pirates and the miners is, like, part of what makes this so nice. Because it's never, like, about one person. It's about, like, everyone supporting each other and doing the right thing that benefits the maximum amount of people possible. Instead of just like someone finding themselves alone, you know what I mean? Like, that's a big yeah, I think, deal. I think you're kind of summarizing it. So here's the here's from Susan Napier. She says the pirates and mine workers offer the possibility of a supportive collectivity, an image that becomes a staple of Miyazaki World, and an ideal that the director clearly hoped to establish in concrete form at Studio Ghibli. In his animations, these utopian collectives range from the pastoral communities of High Harbor in Conan or the Valley Valley of the Wind in Naushka to the ill-assorted but endearing workies of Tadara and Princess Mononoke. Laputa, with its glorious gardens presided over by gentle artificial intelligence, also calls to Miyazaki but ultimately drifts out into the sky. The potential for genuine utopia remains with humans if only they can manage to connect fruit- fruitfully with the non-human world and with one another. Aww. Yeah. It's just, I find that very hopeful and very, like, needed. That's kind of the hopeful reason. Yeah. Of that, yeah. We again, can do like, this on Earth. We don't need uh, mm-hmm. the, the utopia. And, so. like, it would be better to support each other instead of trying to crush and intimidate each other by searching for more power over than, than sustainability, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you're right. I think it's, I think it's a good note to end on with the movie. And we, I think we talked a little bit about the kind of collective uh, nature, especially of Pazu and Shida, as yeah. reflected in larger parts of the movie, too. Uh, Maddie, any final thoughts? 
Uh, I just had to... I did have one thing written down. It was less of a thought, more of a question. Okay, I have one question for you about the dub. And I have... And it is... They mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah in the climax with Muska. Like Muska. Yeah, that's, that's, that's real. That that, that that's real? Okay, okay. I, just, I was just curious if that was... It's a, weird, it's a weird moment when they're like, yeah, this is real. This happened throughout history. Yeah, yeah. Like, Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm like... <laughs> and I was like, is this a dub thing? That is like a very it, name drop moment. It was yeah. it was interesting, but I'd also like to bring attention to how crazy it is that Muska from forty plus feet away shot off both of her pigtails. Very like, good shot, Maddie. Such a good shot! It's so incredible. <laughs> like, this is actually a good point villain. to bring up because like, yeah, what do you think it, about the hair change? It is no secret that Miyazaki freaking loves his girls with short hair. It yeah. is his preference. Every girl's gonna have short hair. If she doesn't have short hair in the beginning, she will by the end. Like yeah. every girl, I think. Chihiro, what does it mean, Michelle? Jahiro is the only one who gets to have long hair, but it's because she puts it up in a ponytail for a lot of the movie, so it's fine. But everyone else has very short. I I think it's lovely. I think it's nice that he supports. He's so pro short hair girls. Like, <laughs> he's pro. Yes, I'm sure that's what he's I thinking thought. when he does this at that. But I, I love be that she has short hair. It just I think like. To me, it's like a sign of just like rebelliousness and, and just like freedom. And like a lot of his hair animation, it's like when your hair is like really tied back and contained, you can't like show that kind of expressiveness the same way you can with short hair. And I just like, I think it's so good. It's I like, really like my final thought, a little Dylan. looser and standing up a little more and her hair is free now. So she can really, do anything. <laughs> I really liked hearing my final thought from, from Michelle, Dylan. I love Is that what you're gonna say? All of that? You, yeah, yeah, you definitely. Say ditto, you definitely. say ditto to all that? Okay. I, what, what, one thing I will add to that is that I really enjoy because obviously they have the Ghibli like hair standing up thing when when the girl gets mad, and they have that with her with the pigtails, and it's so funny because it stands up and the pigtails start to stand up, and it's just so <laughs> funny to me, and I absolutely loved it. Great, yeah, that's great. Yeah, okay. We we didn't talk enough about all the hair though. Hair so animation is good. Or we didn't talk enough <laughs> about food. Let's be honest. Yeah, I know yeah, we okay. didn't talk we about the egg sandwich. Maddie okay. wanted. There's to an egg sandwich. There's an egg sandwich. It's very. It's very. It's not an egg sandwich. It's egg on a bread. On bread. Open face sandwich. Yeah. Still. Okay, sandwich. we're not doing. Okay, we're not getting into what constitutes a sandwich. Okay, um, <laughs> so. <laughs> We're not talking about that. I liked the old man in the cave. I thought he was a sweet old man. Yeah. And he was so blinded by the power and beauty of the rock that he asked her kindly and politely to put it away so he wouldn't have a heart attack. Uncle Palm. Uncle Palm. He's so cute. He's just a little old man in a cave enjoying the rocks. Like, yeah. Why did he almost have a heart attack? I'm still confused by like, that. So he's used to like tiny amounts of that same stone living in yeah. the rocks. And like he he can like sense their energy. He's really into them. And I think the fact that she found a piece that was so big and so powerful, it was like overwhelming oh, him. Oh, he got really excited. He got, got it. really excited. Really, he's like, really oh, this excited. is too much for my heart because I'm the rock guy and I can't handle this big piece of rock gotcha. that I love so much. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, we'll end on Dr. Palm, Uncle Palm, Uncle Palm. <laughs> he's the rock doctor. That's he's his license. Doc. He kind of is. Though. Rock, kind of. rock okay. doc. Okay, that's a geologist. Okay, so. <laughs> the, wow, wow, wow. That's what that means. 
That was a great discussion on Castle in the Sky. We got into so much. Thank you, guys. And thank you for the listening. And if you made it through the whole thing, let us know what you thought of our discussion on this movie, OverlyAnimated.com. Leave, send us comments anywhere else. You can sort of see all the links there for how you can get in touch with us. Um, and uh, the, the way to support us would be through Patreon at Patreon.com slash OverlyAnimated. Thanks to our current patrons, especially our patron of the podcast, Rebecca. And thanks as always to our patron executive producers, Ryan, Steve, Alex, Beatrice, you, Michael, Needle, and Phonician. Um, the Ghibli rewatch continues with a big tonal shift next week in Grave of the Fireflies. <laughs> Stay tuned for that one. No, no Michelle, because she couldn't handle it. Handle could handle it. <laughs> I have never seen Grave of the Fireflies. Don't watch it alone. I keep telling everyone, just do not watch it alone. It's not a good idea. (laughs) Oh my god. Watch it without me. I didn't know you wanted to watch it. I don't want to watch it. Okay. 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 Watch that movie. (laughs) Yeah, no one wants to watch it. Yeah, but we'll talk about the brilliance, the uh, the depressing brilliance of Grave of the Fireflies next week. So we'll see you guys then. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.